Turn in your Bibles uh, to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And then I want you to turn to a second passage, Hebrews 12, chapter 1. Hebrews 12, 1. We're going to jump into a new series this morning, and um, the series is going to be called 2020 Vision. And I'm going to take the next few weeks, and we're going to talk about what we're doing here. Two and a half years ago, we started this church in a movie theater in Barton Creek Square Mall, right? AMC Theaters, it was a dirty, grimy, nasty theater, and we went in there, and we put kids' stuff in there, and we, and we set up these big stacks of, of uh, speakers and, 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 and put lamps everywhere from Ikea to try to disguise the fact that it's a movie theater, didn't work. People knew it was a movie theater, so we just gave in and had things like Popcorn Sunday and uh, uh, let people bring in their Cokes and stuff like that. It was awesome. We had, these, we had, we had people who would, I'd meet them after church um, on a Sunday morning. They'd go, I, I, Pastor, I came to this movie over here, and it was awful, and I, I didn't know there was a church in here, so we just left that movie and came over to see what you guys were doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not making that up. That happened over and over again. It was incredible. And what, what we see is that God breathed on a little group of people who had faith, who had vision. There was a team of about 50 or 60 people uh, who came and joined us, uh, who moved from Colorado and other places and moved here, got jobs, and, and, have, and have stayed and perpetuated the the work of God in planting this church. And it has been a miracle to watch. I can't believe it. But what I often think of as the pastor of this church is how just not very long ago, in the short span of three years, less than three years ago, I was here driving the streets of Austin (laughs) by myself, trying to figure out where we were going to meet and who was going to come and where, how, could I, how could I reach into people's lives and help them see the truth of the gospel and how could we help this city experience God's love and grace and mercy. And to sit here today and see your faces and to see what God is doing in your lives and to hear the stories of people who are being baptized and people whose lives are being changed and who are people who are finding community and recovering from their wounds and their history, to see what God is doing is a miracle. But it's important for us to keep looking ahead because there's a tendency to look down at what's going on right now, and not to lift your eyes to see that the fields are white unto harvest, is what Jesus said. He said, said, lift your eyes and look at the harvest fields. They're ready, they're ripe, and God wants to do more. And so it's important for us to take a moment in the life of our church, we've just passed our two-year anniversary in September, and to ask ourselves the question, God, what do you want to do next? What are you going to do next? Who are we as a group of people? And how should we function? How should we live? We have to have vision in order to understand this. I, um, I, I think the idea of each one of us understanding the vision for our own lives, but, but also for the vision of this place that we call our community of believers, 
a community of people. Where does God want to send us? What does he want to do? I just want to, I want to explore that over the next few weeks, all right? And so I want you to, to go with me um, as we look at that. Uh, if you look at Proverbs 29, 18, let's just begin there. Let's pray before we read the scripture. Heavenly Father, would you illuminate the scripture to us? Would you open our eyes? Would you help us to see? Give us faith to see what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 29, 18 says, and, and I'm going to put it, some different versions up on the screen because I want you to see this verse from different angles. It says, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. People just kind of do what they want to. But happy is he. The person who keeps the law is happy. Recently, I got a ticket. I was coming to the Thursday morning men's Bible reading group called Manna. Get it? Manna. I was, com- I was driving down 290, and I, I, was, I, was, I wasn't in a hurry, but I was just going faster than I should have been, and I saw the, I actually, I, I, I went by, and, and, and just as I was going by, you know that feeling, just as you're going by, and you see the car, the police car, and it's right there, and you just go, oh, no, <laughs> and the siren, and the, and the lights go on, and you're like, is it me? <laughs> Is it me? Oh! And so I went up and I and I drove, you know, and I'm, I'm I go a little ways, and he catches up with me. And there, I mean, there was hundreds of people going by, but he picks me. I'm so special. So I was not happy. It made me very unhappy. What God is saying is, when you when you keep the rules, when you keep the law, something happens. You're happy. It's a lot happier than breaking the rules. Breaking the rules, there's so much pain involved. If you look at this verse from a different angle, let's look at the NIV. I'll just throw it up on the screen here. Where there is no revelation, or there's nothing revealed, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. People who heed wisdom's instruction. Where there's nothing revealed, where you're not thinking about anything that is forward-looking, people who don't get any revelation, they, they cast off restraint. And the New Living Translation, so let's, look, let's look at that. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. <laughs> That's kind of nice. When people do not accept divine guidance, when God isn't there to help them, when, he, when they don't acknowledge him, when, he, when they don't include him in their lives, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is actually joyful. You, we don't think about that very much. We don't think about obeying the law being joyful. But really, it's, we're talking about, te- maybe, maybe what we're talking about is temporary pleasure versus long-term joy. The CEB... Uh, the, uh, I can't remember what that stands for right at the top of my head. Uh, 
common English Bible is what it means. Common English Bible says when there's no vision, the people get out of control, but whoever obeys instruction is happy. The Message Bible says, I love the Message Bible. It says if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. (laughs) But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. That's a good one. That really explains so well what happens. We need vision. We need to see what's going on around us. Uh, Last week, I was picking up the kids from school. And um, we live right around the street from the elementary school where my kids go. And so I walked down there, and I was in my shorts and flip-flops. And and it was a warm day. It was beautiful. I was walking down the street, and, and all the moms and dads gather there on this place across the street from the school. So they go to the crosswalk, and then all the kids run down, and we're all kind of waiting there, just keeping an eye on them. So they, so, so they see their parents across the street, and they know where to go. So I'm standing there, and I'm in the grass, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, I got my, my phone with me, of course, because what would you do if you had to stand around for five minutes without one of these in your hands? I mean, you'd have to talk to somebody or something, you know, you'd have to... You have to acknowledge somebody else's presence, but what happens is all the parents are there and they're all, <laughs> so I'm doing the same thing and I'm standing there and I'm texting or I'm looking at something and, I'm, and I see this little uh, stump uh, where a tree's been cut down. It's just raised about this high up off the grass. And so I go over there and I stand up on it and I just stand there and I'm reading my text and I'm waiting on my son and I'm just looking at stuff. Suddenly, I look down and there are ants covering. I'm not just talking about like a few ants on my feet. No, it was like ants covering, like like busy little workers all over my feet. And I start hopping around and I'm like getting... I'm hitting my feet. I'm like kicking off my 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 uh, my flip flops, and I'm like banging them on the sign that's there, trying to get. And then when I get off my flip flops, I'm starting to hop around trying to get the ants off. But there's stickers all in the in the grass, so I'm like, ah, oh 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 oh. I was super impressive to all the moms and dads. My sister, Lori, her kids go to school there, and she came up. She saw me from a distance. She got up next to me. I was kind of done with my little hopping around. And she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> it, was, it was one of those embarrassing moments where you look around to see if anybody saw, and you realized everyone saw and looked away. Sometimes if we don't pay attention... If we don't pay attention to what's going on in our lives, we end up with ants crawling all over our feet. Sometimes uh, we tend to let life happen to us, then get a vision clearly set in our minds and our hearts about who we should be and where we're going and what we're doing. We get distracted. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. We're just doing the next thing. <laughs> Whatever the next thing is, we just do it. That's not the life that God wants for you or for me. So I want to use this first Sunday to talk about vision for you and for me. So I want you to get a pen and paper out if you have it. And I want you to begin to write some things down. I want you to write down these ideas. Because I, I want you to refer to them later on this week as you're thinking about what God's doing in your life. Vision is visualizing something that you can't see. When you receive a vision, 
You're trying to, you're trying to picture something that maybe you, you, you don't see initially. Vision is a future hope or desire that lives in our hearts. It's a future hope or desire that lives within us. Vision is a faith to, to see, to see what could be if there were no restrictions. Vision is visualizing something we can't see. It's like, it's like God's giving you a picture, but it's not, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't come to pass yet, and you're still trying to figure it out. Vision is a future hope or desire that lives in your heart. That lives in your heart. You, you think about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that, that lives there. And it's something that often God puts there. It's faith to see what could be if there were no restrictions. What would you do if there were no restrictions? What if you could do what was really in your heart? Most people, listen, most people have plans for their lives. They make plans. Was it John Lennon who said, life is what happens when you're busy making plans? Most people make plans, but God wants us to, get, to have his vision. Vision is about purpose. It's not just about plans. Vision is about a purpose, an accomplishment. It is the defining of an idea that is greater than a logistical plan. It is based on values and concepts that transcend individual plans. A vision is much larger. Here's what I think we have to settle God wants us to live this way. If you you put your uh, finger in Hebrews chapter 12, if you turn back one, one page, you'll see Hebrews 11. And I want you to see this first verse. Hebrews 11 in the New Living Translation, it says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. People are not used to living this way. We like proof. We don't want to live with faith. We want to live with proof. But God wants to put faith in your heart. And I want you to see that there are benefits to having a vision from God for your life. And I'm going to go through them kind of quickly. So I want you to be ready. I'm going to... I'm going to read some scriptures, and I want you to see what happens if you have God's vision for your life. If, if we have God's vision for our lives, here's what happened, all right? The first benefit of having a vision for, for your life is we stay focused. Look at, look at Hebrews 12, verse 1. Look what it says here. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on who? Wait, say it again. Jesus. Who do we keep our eyes on? Jesus. Man, is, I think this is one of the hardest things that we do in our lives. There's so many other things to keep your eyes on. Your checkbook, your job, keep your eyes on your kids. Well, Pastor Ross, don't, you don't know my kids. I got to keep my eye on, on them. No, just, listen, there's something about 
a vision for our lives that keeps us focused and like a laser beam on, on what God is doing. And it's keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The NIV says the author and perfecter of our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So many people give up. You know why they give up? They don't have a vision. He says, verse 4, he says, After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Verse 5 says, and, you have, and have you forgotten? Everybody say forgotten. forgotten. Take, take your little pen. If you're, looking, if you're writing in your Bible, underline that word forgotten. See, here's the problem. We forget who God is and what he has for us and where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do. We forget. We get distracted. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Wait a minute. Discipline? I want to be encouraged. No, he says, these are encouraging words. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child. There's something about God's work in us. It has to do with his vision for us. It has to do with where he's taking us and where he's training us to go. But if we don't keep our eyes up, if we get discouraged, we lose our focus. Here's what happens. Sometimes we lose our focus by fixating on things that are good. You ever hear the phrase that the enemy of the best is the good? It's often very true in our lives. The enemy of the best is the good. Sometimes we get focused by bad things that are happening in our lives and we get so overwhelmed and we get weary and we just want to quit. But Jesus is saying, look, I, I, I'm working. I'm working in you. Even these bad things that you might think are, <laughs> you want to blame them on the devil. He's like, actually, I'm helping you here. When we have nothing to focus on, like a vision, when we, we can't lift our eyes, we tend to focus just on ourselves. Number two benefit for having God's vision for our lives is we prioritize better. We prioritize better. I'm going to put the scripture up on the screen because we're going to go a little quicker now. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Some of you know this scripture. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust, moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin and do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, without a vision, you have nothing. Here's the thing. Without a vision, you have nothing to base your decisions on. Without a vision that gives you true north, you have nothing to base decisions on. You're just kind of going with the flow. You're going with whatever feels right. You're going with whatever your gut says. You're just dealing with things as they come to you. But when you have a vision, you say, will this accomplish the vision God's given me? Will this help in the vision that God has out in front of me? You prioritize better because you want to accomplish what God is saying to you. Listen, 
It was a brilliant book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you've never read it, you sh- everyone should read it. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, known as a business book, but it is a relationship book to its core. And habit number two says, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. We can't just go through our lives without seeing the end and letting our lives be shaped by it. We have to begin with the end in mind. Number three, here's what happens when you have a vision. We do better work. We, we, we just work better. Look at what the scripture says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. What? As believers, you know how we're supposed to treat our bosses? We're supposed to treat them like we're working for the Lord. You're like, Pastor Ross, you do not know my boss. He is not the Lord. He is the devil. (laughs) We're supposed to, because we're believers, because we are God's people, we are supposed to work in such a way that we honor those we're working for. Even if they're cruel, even if they're mean to us, we honor, the, we honor them by working hard because we're honoring God when we do that. We don't work for them. We work for God. Changes your perspective. We do better work. Number four, we gain perspective in adversity. We gain perspective in adversity. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now... Will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Most of us, most of us, wrestle with instant gratification. (laughs) Some of you just totally give into it, but most of us wrestle against it. Instant gratification is something we just want it now. I just want it now. I just need it now. God, you just need to do this for me now. A vision never happens instantly. In fact, in fact, if you think about it, there's only one thing in the scripture that is instant. There's only one thing that is instant in the scripture, and it is forgiveness. When you repent and believe, boom, your history is gone. Your past is paid for. You are cleansed and renewed and your sins are washed away. It is instantaneous. Forgiveness is instantaneous. The rest of it is all hard work, people. I didn't mean that to be as dark as it sounds because you have, because you have the work of the Holy Spirit in you and God is going to work in you and with you and he's going to walk with you and he's going to encourage you and you have the scriptures and you have other people around you who are going to challenge you and strengthen you. But listen, it's all process. None of it's instant. It's all process. None of it's instant. Without a vision, we lose courage and conviction in, the, in, in a moment of hardship. Without a vision, we lose the ability 
to courageously and consistently move forward. Having a vision actually forces you to move through adversity with the right perspective. Having a vision says, this is very difficult, but I'm going to keep moving because I know God has something for me on the other side of this. Here's what happens. If you don't have a vision, when you go through hardship and adversity, you become a victim. If you don't have a vision to see what's going on around you, to understand how adversity is affecting you, if you don't understand that there is an enemy and he's trying to destroy you and that God's trying to train you and encourage you and challenge you even in the midst of adversity, if you don't understand that we got to fix our eyes on what is ahead and what the future holds, then you, 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 you can't see it. You become a victim. You just start looking at yourself. You start saying, well, people are so mean. Everything's just so bad. Actually, God's mean to me. God's not helping me. And you become a victim and you start shaking your fist at him. But a vision lifts your eyes. A vision lifts your heart above your adversity. And while it is still hard, it is still difficult, while it is still challenging, you have the strength to get through. You have the courage because you see what God wants to do. Finally, number five, we find meaning in the mundane. When you have vision from God, you find meaning in mundane activities. Look at Galatians 6, 9 says. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, farmers are really good at delayed gratification. Farmers are really good at doing the same thing every day and knowing that there's going to come a day when that harvest is going to sprout. It's going to, it's going to come. He's going to be able to collect it. He's going to be able to receive the harvest. But during the winter months, when he's plowing that hard soil, and he's doing it every day over and over and over again, it can be discouraging. I fear that this is what most of us face in terms of the threat to our vision. Because here's what happens. Without a vision, everything becomes burdensome. Think about the way you raise your kids. I have five of them. I could tell you some stories. My wife could tell you some stories about mundane living. Every single day. The laundry never ends. The process of training your children to not be selfish and fight with each other. I don't know what it is that's in them. They just, they just constantly want to fight. We have three that sit in the back of our seven-passenger minivan, and they just sit back there, and it, they can never get along. Every time we go to the store, every time we go on a trip, it doesn't matter what we're doing. They're just, mom, he's being mean to me. She's being mean. Yesterday was my youngest son's birthday. He was six years old. Turned six years old yesterday. At the end of the day, I'm hearing them in the back of the van. They're sniping at each other. Finally, he says, mom, this is the worst birthday ever. Just Grace is being mean to me. And that was about the seventh time he'd said that. <laughs> Listen, 
if you have a vision about what your kids are going to become. Listen, it's true. If you don't have a vision for what your kids can be, you'll get sick and tired of it on the way. All you moms know I hear the amens. I can hear it. Some of you dads are like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) I'm just working hard. If you don't have a vision for who your kids are going to become, you can't put up with the crying and the screaming and the fighting and the irritation. It just becomes too much of a burden. And then what happens? You start just paying attention to yourself. You just do stuff for yourself because you're trying to escape the mundane everyday activity. But a vision causes you to find meaning in it and value. Got to get through a few more points here. Because here's what I want you to do. Okay, so how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you find, how do you get a vision from God? You're just sitting out here and you're thinking, okay, okay, Pastor Ross, I I believe in what you're saying. All right, I I need to do that. What is that exactly? How do I get one? (laughs) Can I buy it somewhere? Do you have a mailing list? No, no. I want you, how do you get a vision for your life? How do you get God's vision for your life? I'm going to give you a few ideas. Here's number one. You got to see yourself in the scriptures. If I want to get God's vision for my life, I've got to see myself in the scriptures. Because here's the thing. I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. I'm talking about making the application, connecting the dots in the story. God's great story. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 through 13. Here's what it says. It says, these things happen to them. As examples for us. This is the Apostle Paul. He's talking about the nation of Israel. He says, these things happen to them as an example for us. They are written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. And if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Sometimes we need to see how God works in other people so that we can apply and we can understand how he wants to work with us. If you think about people like Noah, who he chose for his obedience, do you know how long he had to work on that boat? That was a long time. Nobody had ever seen rain. By the way, Noah had never seen rain. You think about Joseph, had these dramatic visions, had incredible visions, and suddenly he's in a pit. His brothers are trying to destroy him, trying trying to get rid of him. He gets sold into slavery. He ends up working for a guy named Potiphar, Potiphar, and he, and, and, and he works in that house, and he's starting to really become in charge of everything in the house and then suddenly he's thrown into prison. He's in prison. He's still got this vision out here. He remains faithful in that prison and he continues to take care of other people and to serve them. He interprets dreams that people have in the prison for no gain of himself. He's just doing it because that's who he is and he continues to rise in the prison and finally one day he stands before Pharaoh. And God takes him, this boy that was found in a pit, was sold into slavery, was accused of wrongdoing, was put into prison. Finally, he ends up second in command. There's something about that story that you need to get because you may be sitting in a pit right now thinking that all your brothers and sisters hate you. 
I can tell you God has a plan. You, not, you don't know it yet, but you can look at Joseph and get encouragement. You can look at Peter. You can look at Hannah. You can look at Mary and see, look at David, look at, and see who they are and how God works in people's lives and gain courage in the vision that God wants to give you. Number two, connect to God's greater story. Sometimes we get stuck in our own story. We're like, God, you're not doing this. And God, I need your help on this. And God, there's something wrong over here. And you need my kids and my work. And I need this. And I, it's, you're stuck in your story instead of being connected to God's story. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, and all this is from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. Wait, what did God give us? The task of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message. What's the message? It's the message of reconciliation. Now, what is that? It's God's work in the earth. He's trying to get people to be reconciled with him. He's trying to help them see him. If you get involved in his plan, I guarantee you God will give you a vision. If you will understand, if you'll connect to God's greater story, God will begin to show you what he wants you to do. Verse 20 says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You get involved in saying that to people around you in your work. You get involved in being, being connected to God's great story. Guess what? Your eyes are going to lift from your, your own selves and your own whining and your own complaining. And you're going to see God's vision for you. He's going to begin to work in you. Number three, we have to evaluate and use my gifts. I have, to, I have to understand that God's given me something to use to minister to other people. Look at Romans 12, 6 through 8. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Listen, you've got to understand that every one of you has a gift. There is not one person sitting here in front of me that doesn't have a gift or a talent or a skill that God wants to use to minister to other people. Not one person. And this church is based on the idea that every one of you have a gift and every one of you need to use it. And I'm doing everything I can and we're all going to do everything we can together to make sure that we find that gift and that we encourage that gift and we see you find fulfillment because you're using what God already gave you. If you're, if you're spending all your time on yourself and you're not in a position to serve other people, I'm not talking about work where you get paid for it. I'm talking about finding a place where you're serving other people, using what God gave you. You're going to be frustrated. Number four, allow others to speak into my life. Now, sometimes you think you have a gift and you keep wanting to use it and other people are like, uh-uh, that's not working for me. We see it all the time in worship ministry. People want to get up on the stage and sing. <laughs> let me guarantee you. Let me, let me help you. You don't want everybody who wants to sing to be able to sing up here. <laughs> and Pastor Marty does a great job of coaching people and lovingly telling them, Oh, I'm sorry. This isn't going to be the place for you. 
Now listen, that's hard to take at first because when you want to do it so badly, this is the gift that I have. This is what God gave me. Now listen, you need other people to speak into your lives as well. You can't just, you can't just go doing the thing you like to do. See, you, the thing you like to do may not even be the thing that God wants to anoint you at or bless you at or, or, or give you his grace for. I think we've got to allow other people to speak into our Look at Proverbs 15, 22. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Don't decide for yourself what your vision is. Listen to others. Listen to God and allow them to help you see yourself clearly. Allow others to speak into your life. This is one of our major problems in American culture. Why? Because number one, we got, we're surrounded by friends who say to themselves, ooh, I don't, I don't know if I should say anything. I mean, what right do I have to speak into their lives? Listen, if you belong to the body of Christ, you have every right. And some of us are like, well, how dare you tell me what you think? <laughs> Listen, God put us all together so that we could learn from one another. And it requires humility. It requires openness. It requires accessibility. And we've all got to do it. Just a couple more here. Pray and fast. Pray and fast. If you want to get a vision for your life, develop the discipline of prayer and fasting. Fasting is going without food, going without something for a period of time. So you're, you're, you're taking control of your own appetites and you're surrendering them to the appetite of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, the hunger for God. You're making your physical hunger subservient to your spiritual hunger. What you're doing is choosing not to eat to focus your attention on God and what he has for you. You're clearing away all the junk. You're finding a way to get past your own appetite to see and to hear what God wants. I, I tell you, it's not fun. Uh, I, never, I never actually hear from God during a fast. All I'm thinking about is pizza and hamburgers. <laughs> And I want some food that makes my tummy happy. But what happens is after I go through it, when I finish a fast, on the other side of that fast is the kind of revelation, understanding, the kind of spiritual strength and intensity that you don't get any other way. Number six, the last one, find a place to serve. Look at what Matthew 25, 14 says. This is the story of the parable of the talents. And, and Jesus is telling this story how a guy had been given five talents and one guy had been given two and one guy had been given one and the guy with five and the guy with two, they put theirs to work. And here's what the master said to them. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I meet people all the time that want to be in charge of many things, but they don't ever want to be faithful with a few things. You've got to find a place to be faithful with a few things. You've got to make sure you're in a position to serve because if you're serving people, when you serve, when you serve well, the master will see it and he'll begin to promote you. And here's what I think happens. When you serve, sometimes, sometimes you find a vision and it just sneaks up on you because you found it by serving people that were in need. And those people in need got into your heart so deeply and so, so intensely that you couldn't stop. And suddenly, you're full of passion, full of desire to see these people's needs met. There's several of you in here who've had that experience working with homeless people in our city. 
There's a whole, there's a whole ministry group on Monday nights that walks the streets. And, and what happened to them, I don't know that they really love spending time with homeless people. But something got into them. They started, they started serving. And something happened to them. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so important for each of us? Now, listen, this is a, if, you don't, if you don't remember anything else I said, remember this. Why is this so important for you to have a vision? It's so important for you to have a vision because all the church is is a group of individuals who have a picture of what Jesus wants to do in their lives. The corporate church, the corporate body, the pastor, the, the man who leads, the team that leads, the, they will share the vision, no doubt about it. But we're only as good as each individual. The chain is only as strong as its weakest link. We become the kind of people. We become the kind of church. We become the kind of community that God can clarify a vision for. He can, he can give us something that he thinks is important. He can put something out in front of us because we've all decided that we're sold out to it. We're individually surrendered to him. Here's the thing. If we don't understand God's vision for our individual lives, we won't be able to embrace God's corporate vision for one chapel together. You can't embrace the corporate vision for one chapel if you don't understand what God's doing in you. So close your eyes and bow your heads and let me pray for you. I just want the Lord to speak to you for a moment. I just want you to just settle right there where you're at. Where are you at in your life? What is God wanting to give you? What is he wanting to say to you? Maybe you're, you're living without a vision. You, you're kind of... Aimlessly wandering through life. You're like, okay, Pastor, I need what you're talking about. Pray for me. You might be here and you're thinking to yourself, I I have a vision for my life, but I'm I think maybe I picked it. <laughs> maybe I chose it and God didn't choose it for me, and I I need to let him choose. Maybe you just feel lost. Maybe, maybe you don't have courage, conviction, because you don't have a vision. You don't have a picture of what God wants to do. Listen, start here today. Start with giving your heart completely to God. Start with surrender, surrendering everything to Him. Surrendering your family, surrendering your work, surrendering your own will and your own way and the things that you want. Start with surrendering that and let him begin to shape you and mold you and give you a vision. If you're here and and that's you, I, I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to respond to his work in your heart and your life. Everybody across the room, would you just pray this? Let's pray this together and let's ask God to do something beyond what we can see. Give us faith for what is to come. Come on, all across the auditorium, repeat these words after me and just pray it kind of out loud to yourself. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who shows us the way 
by laying down his life. Forgive me for doing my own thing, going my own way. I need you. I need your vision for my life. Make me a new person today. Give me a fresh start. Give me your vision for what you want for my life. I surrender now. I choose you and I follow you. Father, I pray for every person who's praying this prayer that you would give them the courage and the grace that they need to be able to make this decision. Make it last beyond the next few moments or beyond lunch or beyond the day. Help it to come alive in them what we've talked about today. To see it. To have faith that you have something beautiful, wonderful planned for them. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.